your boy, the Teflon Don, a.k.a. America's premier steel spinner, a.k.a. the legendary Howard motherfucking Q, Mr. Toes, Elbows, and Sucking the Mother... Well, I'm not gonna go there. Hanging out with Double E, Double E, Ina Esco on the Verbally Effective Podcast. Wonder what makes that verbally effective? Hmm. Verbally effective episode 44. Your double E, Ina Esco here. Thank you guys so much for listening to the podcast. We are actually on episode 44. Can you believe it? You all know that you can download the pod on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play Music, and hit that subscribe button on YouTube as well at Ina Esco, E-N-A-E-S-C-O. Big shout outs to my videographer, Jeremy Pride. He's also on YouTube with the Sauce Talks and also Jet Eye Digital. You also can follow me on social media at Ina Esco. That's Facebook, Snapchat, Twitter, Pinterest, everything at Ina Esco, E-N-A-E-S-C-O. I can't believe we're actually on episode 44 now. And, you know, we've been talking about mental health on a lot of the previous episodes. And I finally, finally, by the grace of God, have a mental health expert in with me today by the name of Justin Dodson. How are you, Justin? I'm doing pretty good, Ina. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming. You know, I've been waiting on you because I kind of <laughs> need a little professional counseling myself, um, stemming from a lot of things that happened with me um, as a young girl growing up with, you know, just domestic abuse and things of that nature. And I think like all of these years, I've just kind of been suppressing it. But now I kind of see that maybe I need to talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. So you can definitely help with things like that, I right? I could do that. I could do that. Okay. Well, yeah. we, well, before we get into me, let's talk about you, Justin. Okay. Now you're from Memphis. What part? I am. So I <laughs> I am from like what I like to call Midtown North Memphis. My friends mm-hmm. talk about me when I say that. But I grew up in the Valentine his, uh, Evergreen Historic District. Okay. So like North Memphis one way, but then Midtown the other way. Okay. Yeah. They, they be like, you North North. Right. So you from North Memphis. Right? Oh, Lord. <laughs> so how was it growing up? Uh, growing up was, was good. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, so born and raised here in Memphis, I went to Snowden Middle School mm-hmm. for middle K through eight and then central for high school. Okay. Um, so my mom and my dad and then my brother, my brother is about three years older than I. Um, and then my father passed the day before I turned 10 years old. And so since then it's just been my mom, my brother and I. Um, and so growing up was good. You know, I was always in extracurricular activities and I was always able to go on school trips. Um, did not have a lavish lifestyle by any means, mm-hmm. but I, you know, I, I don't think our lights were ever cut off. Right. If that makes sense. So it's like you don't really have what some of these other people have, but you're not completely without. Right. Um, but I had friends and, and I was involved. And so growing up was pretty good. Okay. And you yeah. said extracurricular activities. What kind yeah. of extracurricular activities? <laughs> Were you in sports or just no, other activities? I was, I was the opposite. I was okay. a nerd. Okay. Um, so I was in your beta club, student mm-hmm. council, choir, uh, yeah. I was I, I engaged in things that made sense to me mm-hmm. and that felt good to me. And my mom tried to do sports. I think we I did soccer. Mm-hmm. I did. But look, everybody right, started I off on soccer, soccer right? <laughs> <laughs> I can I can name you every goal that I that I made in soccer. I can tell yeah. you exactly what was going on because it was by accident. But wow. <laughs> I did that, and then I was in choir and. I make good grades. Right. I was the smart kid. Right. Yeah. I had, I, I kind of had some of the same experience. I was, I was in all honors classes, but I did play sports. Volleyball was my thing, but I was sort of a thespian because I was in theater as well. And I used to love going to the competitions, mm-hmm. but beta club as well. Was, yeah. I was busy. Yeah. But I always wanted to stay busy because I really didn't want to stick around at home. I wanted to be away. That makes sense. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, so um, you graduated from Central, and you went to UT Chat. I did. How did I you did. select UT Chat? You know, so I was talking to somebody about that earlier. I actually really wanted to go to Harvard. Harvard was mm-hmm. my, my dream school, but then my god sister uh, went to UT Chattanooga, and so that allowed us to go up there a lot, and so I was vaguely familiar with the campus and the school and the dorms. Um, and so the last minute I got scared, and I was like, no, I'm going to stay at U of M because that's where all my friends are going. But then my mom said, no. You cannot stay at home. You have mm. to go away to school. You have to grow up. You have to do you have to do this. And so I said, all right. So I, I applied to MT, Memphis, and Chat. Got into all three. I said, I know I'm going to Chat. I only applied to the other two for backups. 
Mm-hmm. Um, half of the graduating class I went to uh, with Central, they either went to Knox or Chat. And right. so I ended up there and I loved my four years there at Chat. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like a beautiful scenery yeah. out there at UC Chat, right? Yeah, it is. It, and so it's so completely different now. So I was like, all right, well, that's where my tuition went. Mm-hmm. So Right. <laughs> right. Like but years you, later. Right. And you think that you're the sole reason why this building is built. But mm-hmm. um, I'm appreciative yeah. to have been able to go to college there. Do you still keep in touch with the people you graduated with or still like go home for homecoming stuff like that so i actually went to homecoming for the first time this year first time first since time. you graduated i've never been to a homecoming in general okay right so like my friends they went to tsu i have friends that went to spellman and morehouse and so they'd always try to get me to go with them to their homecomings and i said no that doesn't make sense i didn't go there mm-hmm. but now i get it and so I went to my own and it was a lot of fun to connect with people that I went to college with. And it brought mm-hmm. back a lot of memories. And then mm-hmm. you saw when you had hair and you right. saw, you look back on pictures, you know yeah. what I'm saying? When, when things were good mm-hmm. and you were skinnier. Look, <laughs> I understand. Right? And you had food stamps. And so, <laughs> uh, so yeah, that was fun. I went this, this year for the first time. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know what? I went to, I, I'm a graduate of Lamar 101 college and I, um, you know, did my first live podcast with the students there during their homecoming and just hung out for tailgate. And I understand what you're saying, like reconnecting with people mm-hmm. you went there with and like just reminiscing on all the good times. So I had a good time at homecoming too. So um, let's talk about um, how did you determine your major at UT Chat and what was your major? Yeah, so my major was psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, so g- throughout high school, I actually did mock trial cause I wanted to be a lawyer. Mm-hmm. So I was on a, a team that traveled, um, uh, we were actually with MOGW. It was a mock trial team and we were made up of different students from, um, some, like some different high schools in Memphis. So I did mock trial and I wanted to be a lawyer. And then for some reason, when I went to college, I said, no, that's not my gift. That's not my talent. I'm really good at talking to people. Um, and I've always wanted to be what I don't believe I had, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. So I got to college and I said, I'm going to do psychology and I want to be a counselor. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I did. And I believe that I, I got there because I believe it's my purpose in life to help mm-hmm. people lead a better life through whatever avenue that means. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, that means through talk therapy. Mm-hmm. So went to chat. And then when that was about to be up, I said, all right, well, I need to go to grad school so I can actually make money. Mm-hmm. So I applied to Lipscomb University in Nashville. A lot of people have never heard of Lipscomb, but that's where I, I went. I heard of Lipscomb, yeah. Um, and so I actually was the first black male to graduate from that school awesome. with a degree in professional counseling. Mm-hmm. Um, and the rest is history. So it really just, I found my way, my vision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now you mentioned um, you were the first African-American male to graduate from there with psychology. Why do you think that you were like the first and is just not many black men into psychology or? You know, that's a really hard question. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting because so since I was the first black man at Lipscomb to graduate with that degree, then after that, a couple of people came after me. So I don't know if I can say that I paved the way. Mm-hmm. You um, did. But You're a pioneer. Not many, <laughs> right. Did something, didn't it? Yes, you did. But many. I just don't see a lot of people that look like me. Right. Mm-hmm. And so. When I got to the program that I'm in now, uh, working on my Ph.D., they were saying, well, who was your childhood hero? And I said, honestly, my childhood hero was my imagination Mm. because that's how I got to see a lot of the things that I didn't actually see. Mm -hmm. And so that even meant from like seeing people come out of bigger houses than I lived in or nicer cars than my family drove. And it was really learning how to create a life that I wanted for myself, but then also fitting that into my purpose. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I got to counseling because a lot of people are like, oh, you're not going to make a lot of money in that. And I said, no, you you create the revenue streams that you right. want by using your talent, by using your purpose. Mm-hmm. I cannot add and subtract. I'm not good at math. Don't ask me <laughs> to build anything, but I can talk to people. I can hear people. I can I can really see what people are talking about, even if they don't say mm-hmm. anything. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's like kind of like an innate gift. Like, I really seriously, do. I do. I do believe that that's part of it's 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 a gift. It's a purpose. And a lot of people are going to school now. A lot of my students, I'll ask them when they get to the class because I do adjunct teaching as well. And I'll say, why are you here? Mm-hmm. And they say, well, I just want to help people. Well, that's not good enough. Mm-hmm. Every we all want to help people. Everything that we do goes to the greater good of human society, if you ask me. No matter if you're a cashier that made someone's day better and got them the service they needed, or if you're a janitor that keeps things clean so we don't have disease, right? right. And so um, I love what I do. Wow. Yeah. Justin, how would you define 
psychology, like at a high level? <laughs> uh, it's really just a study of, of the, the human brain and personality functions. Mm-hmm. You know, I always compare it to sociology because I minored in sociology. So sociology is more so um, cultures and community and the way your world works around you. And then psychology is more so of the individual person that you're looking at. Mm -hmm. Um, And so psychology was just a natural segue to counseling. Um, And that's really how it works. You're like a mind reader, right? Like no. you get like it seems like with a psychology degree and then you're you know doing your PhD like you know you meet someone new it seems mm-hmm. like with your your training and background and gift like you know off top if somebody being straight up with you yeah, do you I, I I believe so but you know it's interesting every time I beat people I'm always hesitant to tell them what I do sometimes mm-hmm. because as soon as you tell somebody that you're a therapist it's like oh well you're analyzing me no actually. Mm-hmm. I'm not. Um, but I do think that I'm a pretty good judge of character mm-hmm. and I can pretty much pick up on things um, that people are doing and saying and why. Mm-hmm. You know, I always like to get to the root of whatever the issue is. Right. So, um, you know, like growing up, I'd always talk to people and people would come and talk to me about their issues um, because growing up is hard. Yes, right? it is. Being a teenager yes, is. is hard. Yeah. And that's part of the reason why I knew that I needed to be what I didn't have mm-hmm. um, because I was bullied as a teenager mm. um, and talked about. And I remember coming home sometimes just sad and crying because I didn't feel like I had anybody to talk to. So it's like, you know what, you're going to be that person for somebody else. And so that's why when I started my career, um, I started working with adolescents mm-hmm. because I wanted to be like almost like that cool older brother yeah, almost uncle figure, mm-hmm. but in a professional it. way. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Um, just so teenagers could could relate, because I'm still young, and so they could mm-hmm. they could relate to me, and I could speak some of their language. Right. But then also aware to know that I need to learn more from them, so I can keep up with the times. Wow, you know, you're talking about bullying, and you know, these kids they definitely need an outlet and someone to talk to. So that's great that you help out with the adolescents um, and you hear so many stories about kids committing suicide because of being mm-hmm. bullied. And now we have social media. Yes. And, and I mean, how do you feel about bullying with the input of social media as it relates to psychology? I think that it's, it's really um, a, a delicate subject because mm-hmm. You know, we're always in our phones. We're always on social media. So that's just the way the world works now. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, you know, I'm only 30. But when I was growing up, we didn't really have things like that. Mm -hmm. We had MySpace. You had Yahoo Messenger. Mm -hmm. um, But those were ways to communicate with people without really seeing them. Um, And so now I love the media because you can look up anything at the drop of a hat. Mm -hmm. Right. It's a gift. But then sometimes it could be a curse. Yes. Um, In terms of bullying, you know, kids sext mm-hmm. right and they send provocative things or they know that that's how I reach you because I can embarrass you on a uh, a big level mm-hmm. right and so I can put it out there so when you go back to school everybody sees it mm-hmm. so it can be a beautiful thing if you use it the right way but mm-hmm. then children I always say that children are meaner than murderers because mm-hmm. they really know how to get to you where it's really going to hurt and where mm-hmm. it's going to stick yeah and now they have an audience to they do have their an audience. With. and then when you give people an audience that feeds <clears throat> the monster that feeds what they want to do and that makes them feel better about themselves. But usually when people are bullying or when people um, have it out for you, that means that something at the root of them mm-hmm. isn't right. right. And what I'm doing now is I'm choosing just not to absorb what's not mine. Mm-hmm. I'm choosing not to absorb what doesn't belong to me. And so when people try to talk, to talk about you or put you down, that's really not yours. That's something going on with them. And they just mm-hmm. see you as an easy target or they see mm-hmm. you as an opportunity. Wow. Yeah. Is that is that like the definition of a hater? Slick. <laughs> in some cases, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. In some cases, yes. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, I have haters. Mm, do you? Do you? Do you? Right. But, you know, so, yeah, in some cases, yeah, that's the truth. Yeah. I mean, everything you just said, it's like, you know, you said someone else projecting what they're going through, mm-hmm. you know. That makes so much sense in you know, with you being a mental health expert, I mean, I'm so glad you're here, Justin, just <laughs> breaking it on down. Now, you know, after reading your bio, I also see that you went through some racial profiling. Yeah. So it's interesting. So I went to Snowden and I went to Central. Right. And so those are two pretty mixed schools. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was growing up, fun fact, I, I wanted to be white. 
What? I did. I wanted Why? to be white or I wanted to be light skinned. So I grew up, I had glasses, I had acne. And so I struggled with self-esteem a lot mm-hmm. growing up just because I couldn't get somebody to like me because of the way I looked. But then, you know, it wasn't completely bad. And so I grew up in a space where on this end of the street, it was really predominantly black families. Mm -hmm. And then as you gradually went towards Midtown, you saw more white people coming out of those houses with bigger houses, bigger cars, Mm -hmm. nicer things. And so I automatically assumed that just being white was better Mm -hmm. as as a kid. And so I grew up wanting that. And then when I got to college at UT Chat, and I remember walking in class one day and I just said, no, you're black. (laughs) <laughs> and this is what it's going to be. You can't stop being black. Exactly. And so it really took some self-exploration and, and reflection to really sit in the mirror and say, embrace this, mm-hmm. accept this, because this is something that you can't change. Um, so that was my experience growing up. And I love being black. I love being a black man. I love being educated. I love being in the space that I am, that I'm in. Um, but I went to Lipscomb. And so in class, I was the only person that looked like me. When I go to conferences, I'm Typically, one of the only people that look like me. Wow. So I graduated from Lipscomb in 2013, and I was in Midtown, you know, the Outback right there on Union. Mm -hmm. And I was walking with a friend of mine just in the neighborhood. And so the police started following us. And so I was like, all right, so what what is this? And so the police stopped us, and they said, have you guys seen anything suspicious? And so at this point, I have glasses on. I have a Henley, some destroyed jeans, and a beanie. I don't look threatening, right? (laughs) Right. In my mind, I don't look threatening. I look like an old Navy ad. Mm -hmm. Um, And so he stopped us, and then we, we went on about our business. He was like, do you guys see anything suspicious? And we were like, no. So then we kept going, um, and then he just kept following us until we left the neighborhood. And that's the day that I realized it doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter where you went to school, who your family is. Some people only see your color as a threat. Mm. You know, some people only just will judge you off the way you look and not what you can prove to them once you start talking. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that really changed the trajectory of how I view myself, because I think there's one thing to know you're black. I always knew I was black, but I never understood what that meant. Mm -hmm. And so I think once I stepped into what does this mean for me and what does this mean for how other people will see me? That's when it really changed the trajectory of what I believe in now as a black man and Mm -hmm. as a even influenced me as a counselor. Wow. Oh, wow. Now, when we talk about mental health, you know, it's in the media a lot right now. Um, It's popular. It's a popular topic. Very popular. So you Mm -hmm. making that cheese now, (laughs) huh? You like extra cheese going on with with it being so popular. Um, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not trying to look. I'm not trying to catch your, your coins in your bag. But there are a lot of stigmas that surround um, mental health. Um, what are some of those stigmas that you see? Because, you know, of course, we always hear about, you know, black people don't go to counseling. Um, you know, that's something more so maybe whites have done over the years. Is that even true? Yeah. It that, is Statistically, true. that's true. Statistically, black people are least likely to go to counseling. More specifically, um, black men are not expected, and they just don't go to counseling. And so I think that stems from what happens in this house stays in this house, in the mm-hmm. black community. I think that's where that it starts, before. right? Mm-hmm. And I think parents do that more so as a don't embarrass me, right? Right. You keep our business our business because we don't need those folks or those people mm-hmm. getting into our business. Mm-hmm. But then that sets the precedence for young kids to keep everything a secret and keep everything in because the rule is I can't tell anybody what's going on, even if something's really going on and I need help. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that sets the precedence at home. Mm -hmm. And then also don't trust anybody. Mm -hmm. You know, the music, you know, we have our rappers, we have our artists. It was like, I don't no one. You don't trust people. Mm -hmm. And so I think that also takes a layer away of protection to say, all right, well, I I really do have to keep this to myself because of the messages that we're getting. Right. And then resource wise. A lot of people that do go to therapy have the resources, whether it's you're paying out of pocket or you uh, have insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of people, especially in the black community, just go to church, just pray about it. True. You know, well, if I'm having a problem with my kid, I'm going to go to the pastor. Mm-hmm. Well, all pastors aren't necessarily equipped to deal with mental health issues. Exactly. Pray it away. Well, mm-hmm. I, I think that's wonderful. I believe in God. I love God. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't be here today without him, mm-hmm. but also know that, Sometimes you need a little bit 
something extra. That can be a resource. That can be a coping mechanism to pray and believe, but that's not the full extent of what people need all the time. Right. Now, how do people even know that they need counseling? Like what is considered, okay, you you need to go talk to a professional versus, okay, that's probably something you could deal with and work out. Yeah, that's a really good question. So if you have an issue that's debilitating, right? So a lot of, so for instance, a lot of black people or people in general out here say, oh, I'm really OCD about this. I hear that a lot. Right, we hear that a lot. And so technically, no, you're not. You're very particular. Mm-hmm. Um, that's an obsessive compulsion if you really were. And so when you talk about if you really, if you like knowing when you really need to see somebody, if I can't get out of my driveway because I'm constantly going back in to check the stove. Mm, that's serious. Right. If I can't leave my house because I keep checking the iron or if I keep washing my hands. Mm. Right. That's an example. But if I'm depressed and can't get out of bed for days and I'm overeating or undereating, if you know, if I'm drinking too much, if I'm not socializing, if I'm not doing the things that I enjoy, um, if I'm spending money recklessly or or being impulsive with my sexual activity, if I'm just doing things, those are, you know, some examples of some mental health issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you've done everything you could, you prayed, nothing happened. If you talk to that good neighbor, nothing happened. Mm-hmm. If you just feel off and people recognize it, that's when you know you need to go seek help. Wow. Wow. That is so interesting to me. Now, in your role as a mental health expert, do you prescribe medicine? Because I know some people that say that they have mental issues, they may get Xanax. I'm not sure of some of the other drug names, but do you prescribe medication? And how do you know when it's time to get a prescription and things like that? Yeah. So I am a um, licensed professional counselor, mental health service provider. So what I can do, I can actually diagnose mental health disorders and I do basic talk therapy. Mm -hmm. So technically I cannot prescribe medication. I I can encourage medication, um, but I can't prescribe it. And But when you know when you need medication is when you just really need a pickup. So a lot of the times with mental health issues, especially with specific disorders like depression or bipolar or anxiety, medication can help those chemical imbalances that are going on that are causing or help influencing the disorder itself. Mm -hmm. And so you know you need medication when you just, something isn't quite connecting Mm -hmm. and I can't really get where I need to be. And so medication can help pick you up. And then in conjunction with talk therapy, people can live healthy, healthy and happy lives. Yeah. Right. Like, what are some of like um, the the side effects of those medications, though? Well, I think for starters, when you start a medication. So let's say if I went to the doctor today and they gave me a prescription for depression, then on Tuesday, I'm not going to necessarily feel better. Mm-hmm. But I think people have to understand that for starters, um, that medication just doesn't happen overnight. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's going to take a little while to kick in. Sometimes they make you sick. You know, depending on the medication. So it's really good to talk with your healthcare provider or your psychiatrist who's ever prescribing that medication to talk about the um, the side effects. It's almost like watching a commercial and you hear all that fast talking right. at the end. Like, oh, this is good, but this is going to mess you up. Because <laughs> some of those side right. effects, this will cause bleeding uh-huh. in the brain. And I'm like, wait right. a minute. I don't want none of that. Like, like you know, yeah. sound real serious. Yeah, nobody wants that. No, I don't, <laughs> no. Yeah, nobody wants that. That's not good. No bueno. <laughs> But, um, yeah, I think that people can talk to their mental health um, professionals or they can talk to their primary care physicians starting if they Mm -hmm. feel like medication is something they need. Wow. What are, like, the top three disorders that you have experienced with your patients? Mm. I would probably say uh, ADHD, uh, more Mm. specifically when I was working with teenagers. Um, So that's real. That's real. It is real. It's not as it's it's real, but it's not as uh, frequent as people make it seem. So a lot of the times and so I'm going to get to the next two. But a lot of the times kids are misdiagnosed Mm -hmm. early. So when I started my career, I was working in a residential treatment facility and every kid's paper that would come past is bipolar or ADHD. Mm-hmm. And so what we know as mental health professionals, sometimes the, the, those can be co-occurring disorders where they're happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. But usually kids are either just depressed and they're acting out. Or in some cases they could have bipolar, but they're still acting out. And sometimes they're just uncomfortable. Sometimes it's bullying. Sometimes it's always something else. And so what I hate is when I see labels slapped on children too soon because technically 
it that may not even be the case. Right. And then kids are walking around saying, oh, I have bipolar. A kid saying that. But like, you're, you're 15. Mm-hmm. Now, you could be predisposed because of genetics. Mm-hmm. That's a real thing. Where if my, my lineage, that's what happens in my family, you could be predisposed. But a lot of the times, um, I wouldn't say that diagnosing that is a, is a first line of defense. But I would probably say ADHD, bipolar, um, and depression, and anxiety. Mm-hmm would be the top three that I've seen before. And then probably like next to that would be narcissistic personality disorder. Mm, that sounds like Kanye West. <laughs> <laughs> well, we going to get into Kanye <laughs> in, in a bit. But um, the second one you said, bipolar. What is the definition of being bipolar? Yeah. So uh, just to explain a little bit, bipolar. So that's another thing that a lot of people in this community say like, oh, I'm bipolar or she's bipolar. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, they could be funny acting. <laughs> That they could have a, a mood issue, mm-hmm. um, but bipolar is a mood disorder. And mm-hmm. so that's really, so do you watch Empire? The yes. show Empire? So, yes. you know, Andre, the son I, there Andre has bipolar, bipolar, right? Yes. And so the best um, example of, of that is when I think of him, when he came, it was early in the, the season uh, when it first started, and he came home and he had been spending a lot of money, and mm-hmm. he was just acting very different and not like himself. Mm-hmm. So he was experiencing a manic phase. And so bipolar is a combination of depression and mania. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the times when people are like, oh, I'm this way one day and then I'm this way the next day, technically you just may be moody. Mm -hmm. But bipolar is really I'm going to experience lows, depression and lows for like periods of times. And then sometimes I'm going to experience episodes of mania where I'm having sex all the time with random people or if I'm spending money like crazy or if I'm just not being myself and then maybe six months down the line I just can't get out of bed Mm. and so bipolar is a mood disorder with um between mania and depression wow yeah and then you said the third is depression and anxiety Mm -hmm. I actually experienced um anxiety at one point in my life when I was just working crazy hours and like just always on the go. It was real serious. And one day I got home and I could not breathe. And I'm telling my husband, like, something's not right. I feel like, you know, something's not right. He was like, let's go to the emergency room. Went to the emergency room. Panic attack? It was, yeah, it Mm -hmm. was a panic attack. And um, he was like, you really, you know, need to take a few days off because you're you're very stressed out and um I don't know what they gave me to calm me down through an IV but it it did Mm -hmm. but I just needed to take a break you know from just the I guess going 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 and Mm -hmm. I had a panic attack and I guess you know they were saying some anxiety so it just seems like a lot of people are stressed out yes (laughs) <laughs> totally. I know you see that a lot. Yeah. How can people deal with stress? That's a real thing, right? Yes. And so I, you know, stress manifests in different people in different ways. So for me specifically, stress when I know that I'm stressed, I start breaking out in eczema. Like my eczema comes out and I and I itch. Mm-hmm. Um and that's how I know I need to go run, I need to relax. Do a stress reliever. Yeah. Okay. Um and so stress affects people in different ways, but I would say the way to do it at the beginning of every month on my calendar, I just circle like two or three days to take off. Mm-hmm. And so I think we have to know <clears throat> when to listen to our bodies and know that we're not, you cannot save the world alone. And mm-hmm. I think specifically for black women, you are known as the provider, the protector, right? So you have the black man, but then the black woman, you just, you got to go out there and get it. Keep it and going. And that's what you were probably doing. Mm-hmm. And in the midst of that, your body caught up with you. Yeah. And so we have to remember to enjoy life. Mm-hmm. And to do things that feel good that are he- that are healthy. Mm-hmm. So whether that's taking a thirty minute bubble bath once a week, whether that's going to church, whether that's just having fun with friends, doing brunch, painting, whatever you're into, we really have to learn how to take time and do that mm-hmm. to enjoy ourselves because that can keep stress levels down. Yeah. And then you also have eating healthy mm-hmm. and exercise. It's cliche, but, but it's it's, it's it, it works, yeah. and that's why you hear it all the time: exercise, sleep. Um, eat healthy and do things that you joy, enjoy. Those are the first lines of of taking care of yourself with stress. Wow. And when you think about it, our society, you know, we have 40-hour work weeks. You know, it's just 
we we we're designed to work 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 to make the money and when you look at other countries like europe they have holiday (laughs) all the time they are not really stressed like you know it's just a different dynamic it really is and i'm not really so i went to dublin uh studied abroad back in may Mm -hmm. um and of last year and it was amazing just to see how people live differently in a different country yes and i remember we were in a club and somebody was like are you are you having crack and you know oh and i was like no i don't do drugs but crack over there means fun oh and so it's interesting because of the language and they were like are you here on holiday and i was like no i'm studying abroad and i didn't know that that meant vacation right um and so it's really just a way of living and experiencing Mm -hmm. life in a I would always encourage people to just go visit a different country, yeah. visit somewhere else. Even yeah. in Costa Rica, mm-hmm. the they have a saying, Pura Vida, where it's mm-hmm. just life is good. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems so carefree. It's so carefree and everything is good. But yes. then here in the, in the United States, you know, so like over there, we would ride the bus to get to where we needed to and it was nothing. But then when you get here, riding the bus means that you're poor. Right. Riding the bus here means that you just don't have and that, you know, it says it's a stigma mm-hmm. on that. And that's not fair to people. Um, we are so, well, we can be so materialistic Very. sometimes, even myself. Right. So I'm not excluding that or I'm not special when I say that. Um, I don't know where that comes from. I think it mm-hmm. comes from the media. Definitely. I think it comes from an expectation of self to look mm-hmm. a certain way. You know, mm-hmm. no one posts. I'm crying on social media. You're going to no. post the best, right? right? We have brands. Everybody's a brand. Mm-hmm. And you have to live up to that expectation. And sometimes that's really tough. Mm-hmm. And that impedes on your mental health, keeping Definitely. up an image and making sure you look a certain part and having a certain thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's tough. It's but then we also have to tough. remember that we're still human. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. You're right. And like, again, especially going back to social media, you know, these kids are heavy on it. Um, of course, we are too, but... You got to imagine they grew up with social media. So they're looking at images, especially for women. Um, All of these young ladies getting all this plastic surgery, you know, I guess wanting to attain a certain look. But, you know, they put these images out there. You look at these young girls that's watching it like, you know, you're not striving to be a natural beauty. Mm -hmm. You're striving for something that's not even real. And and I hate that. I mean, you know, I, I know people that have had surgery, but it's, it goes back to them not feeling good about themselves yeah. and some mental issues. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think I always say that uh, perception is reality. Right. Mm-hmm. So if I perceive myself as being unattractive and needing something extra to feel good about myself, then that's going to be my reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and oftentimes people are doing these risky surgeries. Very risky. Very. Surgeries, right. Those are scary things to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I also am one. Do what you want, right? Mm-hmm. Do what makes you happy. Makes but then happy. also before you take that drastic leap, go to counseling mm-hmm. and really figure it out. Figure out why am I doing this? What's the purpose of my desire here? Mm-hmm. Um, and if you can get to the root of a lot of that stuff, it really can change the trajectory of how you see yourself. Mm-hmm. Or just take time to reflect and figure out, you know, take time in the mirror. I always I tell some of my clients that have self-esteem issues I say, just go home, look in the mirror. And identify five things that you like about what you see. Mm-hmm. Identify five, five things that you like that you can't see, that people can't see. Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of the times we're just not liking ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, for a long time growing up, I didn't really like who I was because I didn't really know who I was. Mm-hmm. And then it, it took getting racially profiled by the police. It took needing to go to college away from Memphis to grow up. It took living on my own and bad making bad decisions to really figure out okay what does this mean mm-hmm. what's going on here and people really have to take the times to reflect but we're mm-hmm. too busy yeah. or we say we're too busy and we're not allowing ourselves to really be healthy and whole wow do you think like um for someone like going through issues like that it needs to be a life-altering experience to have a breakthrough um that's a really good question Sometimes, yes. Sometimes, mm-hmm. yes. I'm not even sure if I would have the viewpoint that I have now if that hadn't happened with the police back in 2013. Mm-hmm. And then if I hadn't had the ability to really see what was going on the, in the media. You know, so when Trayvon Martin was killed, I looked at it like, and I'll be honest, I looked at it like, oh, he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. And then after more and more people were being killed, I was like, oh, wait. Something going on here. That could be around the corner for me. Something's mm-hmm. happening. 
Um, so it just becomes more real when you experience something for yourself. And sometimes you may just wake up and say, you know what, I'm tired of putting on these tight clothes and trying to look a certain way. I mm-hmm. just want to be myself. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Oh, my. Now, does this job ever weigh heavily on you? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why I circle those days on my calendar. You so, take a break. Yeah. Hopefully my boss isn't watching, but I do. <laughs> I circle a couple of days every month to say I'm just going to take take time away. Um, but I see about 12 to 16 clients per week. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's really uh, ingesting a lot of energy from mm-hmm. different people. I love what I do, but I also um, like to separate. So when I my rule is when you leave this pavement of this office, you leave that here. Because a lot of times, especially with new therapists, you take work home with you. And if you take work home with you, you're always at work. And if you're always at work, you're going to get burned out. Mm-hmm. And if you get burned out, you're going to lose the sight of the purpose. Right. Um, and so it does weigh heavy on you sometimes, especially when you have a client that's just not getting it. Mm-hmm. Um, or you see that they're making bad decisions and, and there's only so much that you can do to help. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's why I believe in days off. That's why I believe in massages. That's why I believe in laying down. <laughs> yes. I believe in watching Netflix and Hulu. Travel. Yeah, traveling. I believe in just smiling and laughing with your friends. Mm-hmm. Wow. That makes me think about, you know how they often say people that can give great advice are the ones that don't really take heed to the <laughs> advice. Is that true for you, Justin? <laughs> Uh, you know, interestingly <laughs> enough, sometimes I counsel myself when I'm in session with my clients and I'm and I'm using an intervention or if I'm giving a suggestion or something mm-hmm. they can do for homework. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking in my head like, "Ooh, that was a word that mm-hmm. was for me and I need to do that. And so my goal is to live as closely and as authentic as I as I do to the things that I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So they're aligned. So I'm not being, you know, a fraud. Right. Um, but yeah, sometimes we don't take our own advice. Even when I talk to the other counselors at my job, we have a powwows after really difficult sessions. Um, we're like, oh, well, I should be doing that same thing mm-hmm. or I shouldn't be doing that same thing. And so it's a it's a real eye opener sometimes. Why do you think it's like that, though? Like, you know, not even even a therapist, but somebody, you know, there's always somebody, you know, you can call that has great advice, but they don't follow that. Why is it like that? You know, it's just easier because then if I follow my own advice, then that means I would have to recognize that there's something going on with me. Right. And if I recognize that, I don't want to do that. That's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think that sometimes it's just easier to point the finger and to help because as long as I can help other people and push it away from me, I don't have to really look at my own issue and figure Mm -hmm. out what's going on. Because sometimes what's going on is really down and dirty. I tell people, you know, especially with my clients, I tell them the truth is never a surprise. Right. So if I say something, if I say, you know what, I'm, I'm really wondering what's going on here and I point out what I'm noticing. Usually it's like, yep, you're right. And so the truth is never a surprise. Sometimes it just takes someone saying it out loud for the first time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They kind of make me think about Ayanla Van Zandt. Do <laughs> uh-huh. you do you watch Ayanla Van Zandt? I do. I do. My mom digs her. Um, and so that's how I actually started watching her sometimes uh-huh. on Saturday night with my mom hanging out. Um, I do. At first, I did not. At first, I was not a fan because uh, (laughs) she was really aggressive. She's a very aggressive. She was vicious, right? And I'm like, no, that's not, no, 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 that's not what we do. But then I had to realize um, it was on one episode she had where she brought in a mental health therapist because she acknowledged, oh, I'm not what you need. I'm not what you need. I'm a life coach. That's not what I do. Mm. Um, And so once I realized that she knew the difference, and I even knew the difference of what she did. Um, that's when I started to really dig her. I bought a book of hers, mm-hmm. um, and she makes a lot of sense. Now, are her ways always um, an avenue that I would take? No. No. Um, but I do think that she can be effective. Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, you know, she often talks with a lot of celebrities. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're probably around people that's always – you know, telling them telling them what they want to hear instead of what they need to hear. And Ayala gonna point it out, baby. Yeah, she yeah. gonna get right to it up front. Yeah. And they always looking like, no, she not talking to me. Like Tamar uh-huh. Braxton, for example. Yeah. Did you see that episode? I saw clips of it on Instagram, and she made I me personally so just I can't take Tamar Braxton. Why? Personally. What's wrong with her? She just so extra. Is does it have <laughs> something to do with her being the baby of the family? I think that uh, Tamar feels entitled just from my opinion right so like I don't watch Tamar family 
Braxton, the Braxton values. Family Values. I don't really keep up with that show, but I've seen it a little bit. But I've seen her on different platforms. I just think that she feels entitled. Um, I personally think that Tamar has self-esteem issues and she doesn't I really do like herself fully. Mm-hmm. And so it's easier to be the loud person. It's easier to have attention on you because that really brings the attention of what's really going on. Right. Um, and so I just think that she's disrespectful and that she looks for attention. She was so disrespectful yeah, to a young. It was really tacky. It was tacky. It was very. <laughs> yeah. And then Tony, the oldest, mm-hmm. she's just looking like I'm done with y'all. I yeah. don't. I don't even like my family, y'all. <laughs> yeah, because what has this turned us into, right? <laughs> right. I mean, wow. I, 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 I'm digging Ayanla. I mean, I think that's something different. And I think Oprah saw something in her mm-hmm. to even put her on that platform as a life coach. Yeah. You know, because yeah. I really thought maybe she had more training um, from a mental health, you know, standpoint. But like what are like a life coach? How would you describe a life coach? A life coach is really somebody that's going to. So. A life coach is somebody that's going to help lead you in the direction that you want to go by possibly giving you homework assignments to do, like journaling, or um, go out in public and do this if you're nervous about this. A counselor is really going to dig deeper at the root of the issue. Mm -hmm. A life coach is going to help hold you accountable, Mm -hmm. and you give them your goals, and then you guys are going to follow this trajectory of what you need to do. It's more of like a motivational speaker for yourself. Mm -hmm. That's the way I would put it. Uh, Meanwhile... Counseling is really going to get to the root of that issue and then also help you navigate your space because technically people think counselors have the answers for everything. We don't. Mm-hmm. You have people have the answers. You know, clients have the answers. They know themselves better than anybody because mm-hmm. we spend the most time with ourselves. And so sometimes it just takes a counselor to help bring that out mm-hmm. in a comfortable, confidential, safe space to give people the opportunity and the platform just to be heard. Mm-hmm. A lot of the times I think people are suffering in silence because they don't trust people. Uh, people think that counselors um, can't be trusted and they just want to give you advice and and it's just not coming from a good place and that's just not always the case. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes people have experiences with bad counselors. Mm. You know, I think that's a real thing, just like you can have a bad experience with a, a bad hairdresser. Right. Um, and so sometimes it's shopping around to make sure you get somebody that fits well with what you're trying to do with your life. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody that's going to hold you accountable and be direct when they need to, but then also be empathetic when they need to. That's what counseling is to mm-hmm. me. Um, I can definitely be direct and hit it on the head. And then I, I can also be very kind and empathetic. Mm-hmm. And it just really is about knowing what your counselor can do based on the rapport that you guys have built. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, should African-Americans, do you find that, they can do counseling well with like a Caucasian or do they do better with another African-American because of the stigmas we know? Absolutely. That's a really good question. So I think, yes, to answer your question, I think that um, people can do counseling with anybody that they can feel comfortable with, anybody that's going to hear them. Specifically, I do think that it's important All right. How do I break this down? I think Mm -hmm. it's important for black people to see people that look like them. Right. So but if you're also in a space where that just isn't, you know, there aren't many black male counselors. So if you're in a space where you don't have what you need available to you, then you find somebody that's going to be multiculturally competent, somebody that's going to be able to to understand where you're coming from. And so I think sometimes people have to give people a chance to learn, give people, give counselors a chance to learn. Teach your counselor mm-hmm. what you need them to know. And the counselor needs to be open enough to know. Um, but you can do well with anybody that is going to hear you and that's going to be sincere and genuine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Mm-mm. Well, I'm going to get you to be my counselor, <laughs> Justin. Now, you know, since we've been talking, we've, we've talked about your experience with racial profiling. And at this day and age, you know, you mentioned Trayvon Martin. You know, we have so many of our black men under attack. And, you know, it's just really so prevalent right now. Even with the recent story with the uh, young man, Jamel Roberson, he was that security officer that was just doing his job mm-hmm. and subduing um, a person from committing more crime. And the police pulled up out there in a suburban area in Chicago Killed him on the spot. Yeah. So why do you think that our black men are under attack, even at a higher rate right now, when everything is exposed? We all looking, and the police still don't care. Like, what is going on? Yeah. I think 
um, that being a black man is one of the most beautiful things in the world. Mm-hmm. I truly do. Um, but I also believe that some people are threatened by the black man because I think the black man has power just in, in the presence of a black man. Um, I've been on elevators before where people like uh, that don't look like me, right? So I don't even know if they were white or if different ethnicities, but they didn't look like me and that they would hold their purse closer or they mm-hmm. held their children closer. And I think that our presence sometimes is just threatening. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes um, we do bad things. And then that sets the precedence and the stage for every other black person that they see. Uh, And that's just not that's simply not the case. Um, But I think we're under attack because it's easy to get away with right now. Mm. It's easy to get away with. Especially with 45 and off. Yeah. Tacky. It's it's always, you know, it's always been what has happened. But now we're just seeing it more because of media. Mm -hmm. And that's scary because then our young boys and even myself, we're, People at my age, we're looking at this. That's vicarious traumatization mm-hmm. because I'm looking at people actively getting killed on Facebook Live. Right. I'm watching the news to see yet another black man has been killed. And the sad thing about it is that people are getting away with it. Mm-hmm. You know, and then there was the whole controversy of Blue Lives Matter versus Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. And my problem with people saying Blue Lives Matter, yes, they do. But if that was the case, black people wouldn't be getting killed like let's just let's just really look at this you can take your uniform off and still be safe a black person cannot take their skin color off no you know someone um from the islands they can't change their accent Mm -hmm. and so i think it's just been easy to get away with yeah because the way the justice system works that's so messed up you know i have two sons i have a 13 year old and a five-year-old he just turned five last week but like you mentioned with, you know, you see it so much in the media. It's like when a new story breaks, I don't even want my 13-year-old to watch it anymore. I don't want him to be desensitized and just think it's normal. Right. Because when we have a conversation about it, he's like, Mom, why are they doing this? Mm-hmm. It's, it's hard to answer that yeah. question, you know. Um, but I just think we need more positive um, images just all around, too, with our uh, black men. I actually was the mistress of ceremonies last night with the men of Phi Beta Sigma, and it was the Male Image Awards for Mm -hmm. African Americans. And just listening to their stories was just phenomenal. Um, The honorees and the scholarship recipients, because, you know, they they are making an impact in our society. And I was just thinking I should have had Dallas with me. That's my um, Mm -hmm. uh, my 13 year old, because I want him to see this, you know, see these males that are really out here doing something positive in the community. And these kids getting scholarships for all the work that they've done to let him know you know, what you're doing right now. He's a straight-A student, Beta Club. Mm -hmm. I want him to stay on track. I really do. Yeah, and you you create the spaces that um, he needs to have to see those images. Mm -hmm. I think that's awesome. Because growing up, my mom didn't necessarily raise me to be a black man. Mm. It was more so just be a Christian, be good to people, be kind. Mm -hmm. And then as I grew up, I had to learn what it meant to be a black man. Yeah. And so it was all, the message was always pray, go to church, go to Sunday school, mm-hmm. be kind to people, which are great values that I, I, I wouldn't be who I am without them. Mm-hmm. But then I think as an adult, I had to then learn, okay, so now that I've come this far and I've learned these things, now what do I need to now be a black man? Right. What do I now need to stay alive? What do I now need to, to thrive? And okay. I think that started with education. Mm-hmm. My parents always taught me that education is the one thing that no one can take from you. That's true. And so I don't I don't technically believe that college is for everybody. Mm-hmm. I just personally believe that something is for everybody, mm-hmm. whether it's building a hustle, finding a trade, mm-hmm. going to college, being an entrepreneur, anything that you can do to add value to society and still be legit mm-hmm. is the way you should go. But you also should do things that feel good, that are healthy. Um that add value to who you are into the world. So create those spaces for our young men that say, it's okay to be smart. Mm-hmm. It's okay. Cause you know, in school kids get bullied for being the smart kid. That I was, is crazy. I remember but... being in the, the cafeteria at Snow middle school and kids would like throw food at me because I, you were smart. Because I was smart. I didn't sag my pants. You know, I didn't do the things that they were doing mm-hmm. and for them, they didn't know how to take that. And so now as an adult, I'm like, oh, they were being fed messages that this was not right. Mm-hmm. Like what I looked like, what I was doing, how I was being, 
just wasn't, you know, oh, that's, I don't understand that. Mm-hmm. So now as an adult, I say, I choose not to absorb that because that really wasn't mine mm-hmm. to deal with. And they were just being some old followers anyway. Mm-hmm. And you was the leader. Yeah. And they was Jay. It's interesting that, <laughs> so I used to adjunct at um, ITT Tech before it closed. Mm-hmm. I taught psychology. And one of my high school bullies was a student there. What? Years later, my friends were like, did you say something? Like, nope. No need. Mm-mm. There's no need. You know, your patient life will come back around. It always does, it doesn't does. it? Yeah. It really does. Yeah. Justin, I have thoroughly enjoyed you. You are so informative and real and like very transparent. Yeah. I love it. I love (laughs) it. Now, if someone wanted to seek your professional help, how can they get in touch with you? Um, So I'm on Facebook. Uh, The name is Justin Keith, J-U-S-T-I-N-K-E-I-T-H. And on Instagram, it's Mr. J Keith, I-T-S-M-R-J-K-E-I-T-H. Okay. Um, so those are my handles on social media. And then through that, um, give my email, my email address and contact information. So it, will it be affordable? You can work with them. Absolutely. See, Absolutely. holla at my boy, <laughs> Justin, so he can help you. If you if you listen to this podcast and everything that we've been discussing, experience anything that we've been talking about, it wouldn't hurt to just contact Justin and see if you do need to take this step and get some help help with all of this mental health issues that we have going on now because I'm seeing a lot of suicides and people just you know they're always saying it was mental they had mental health issues they Mm -hmm. had mental health I was like wow this is everywhere yeah one thing that I would like to say you know like um you're seeing a lot of white men with these mass murders yes and so they always claim the insanity off top Right. Mm-hmm. Mental health does not make you kill people. No. Mental health uh, affects how you function as an adult, mm-hmm. as a person, but that doesn't te- technically make you go kill somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it does, depending on if you're having hallucinations, but most of the time, no. Alcohol and drugs don't make you go kill somebody. Mm-hmm. That gives you the freebie of saying, I was under the influence to go and do this. Mm-mm. That shouldn't even be allowed for them to, you know, claim they had mel- mental health issues with all these mass murders. Yeah, because you you know that's what they're gonna claim. Yeah. yeah, off top. Yeah, we got a lot of work to do, don't we, yeah. Justin? And a lot to talk about, right? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, and I wish you nothing but the best in Thank your career, you. Justin. I appreciate the opportunity. I think we're gonna see you on TV. Let's uh, hope so. so. Speak it. I am. Sp- Speaking right it. Right now, tell the people. YouTube world. <laughs> tell your family. Look, audio world. Put We're going to see Justin Sodson <laughs> professionally making his TV debut on a very, you know, high level very soon. I'll say beginning of 2019. Okay. Well, let me get my good suit out. Get your, good, get your good suit. I got one good suit. Look, look <laughs> I'm sure you got a tailor and some more stuff, Justin, but um, I'll be in the audience clapping you on. I appreciate it. Okay. Thank you so much, Justin. Verbally Effective Episode 44 with Justin Dotson, mental health expert in the book. You are listening to Chef Reagan, author of The Single Girl's Guide to Great Cooking, also known as The Cosmopolitan Cook. And you are listening to Verbally Effective with Ina Escobar.